This is Heather, and you're listening to Let's Go There. Guys, I am so excited about today's interview. I cannot wait for you to meet my sister-in-law, Naomi Ellis. We talk all about the grief of waiting on their adopted son, and we have an honest conversation about postpartum depression and how growth happens in the valleys. So get ready. We're going to go deep. Let's go there. I'm so glad that we're getting to sit down together and... uh, and do this. So yes. just thank you for being willing to share your story with me. Thank you for inviting me to do so. I'm excited. All right. So as we get started out, I just want you to tell of our, all of our listeners a little bit about yourself, like name, what do you do, all that. Okay. Um, so my name is Naomi Ellis. Um, I am a stay-at-home mom. I have been married to actually Heather's brother <laughs> for her. Uh, yeah. That's my sister. <laughs> <laughs> I've been married to Ben for um, coming up on 13 years, um, and I am 32 years old. Uh, you know you're getting old when you have to double check how old you are by subtracting <laughs> your birth year from the current year. <laughs> Had to do that today. Um, but yeah, so um, right now I'm just uh, at home with my two babies. I've got uh, two sons, Silas, who is uh, just turned three, and Micah, who is one in four days, which is crazy. Whoop, whoop. But <laughs> That's my birthday buddy right yeah, there. Yeah, birthday buddies for life. <laughs> All right. Well, if I remember correctly, you had a relatively normal pregnancy with Silas up until like the very end. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, I um, I had a relatively normal pregnancy for uh, in terms of the physical aspect with Silas. Now, um, keeping in mind what this podcast is about with postpartum depression and everything, I mm-hmm. think it's important to mention that uh, we found out that we were pregnant November of 2017. And we actually had had no intention on birthing children at this point in our lives right? Um, and had been in the adoption process for our son from Uganda for almost five years. And so found out that we were pregnant in November. And then January of 2018, we found out that our agency was shutting down their Ugandan program. Mm-hmm. And so physically, yes, the pregnancy was normal, but what wasn't normal was the mental health aspect of it. Um, because we were definitely, I, I specifically, I shouldn't speak for Ben, but, um, I specifically grieved, honestly, all of Silas's pregnancy because while I was excited to have this child, I believe children are all gifts from the Lord and all blessings from the Lord. This is not the child that I had prayed for the way that we see um, Hannah pray for Samuel and uh, Mm -hmm. for Samuel. And so um, I had a lot of conflicting emotions going through this pregnancy and didn't feel necessarily safe at the time to discuss them. Nobody around me had done anything to make me feel that way. It was just, I felt very unique in my situation of like having a failed adoption and finding out that I was pregnant at the same time. And right. Yeah. Yeah. Normally it's like flip It's reversed. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And so, um, I just felt very strange going through that. And then we get to, I was very blessed with a, a relatively normal pregnancy or typical pregnancy. And didn't really start experiencing any physical symptoms until about six, seven weeks out from my due date. Mm-hmm. I was due in um, August of 2018. 
And we were about six to seven weeks and I um, out from that and I started experiencing hives, like uncontrollable hives. And we could not figure out what it was coming from. Uh, my, my midwife couldn't figure it out. My doctor couldn't figure it out. And they finally concluded that I must have pups, which is, um, it's a uh, rash that pregnant women can develop towards the end of mm-hmm. pregnancy. Um, they were like, it's a little weird because usually pups starts on your stomach and then you go like the rash goes from your stomach out to your extremities where I went from extremities to my stomach. So it was, Mm -hmm. they were basically throwing something at it, hoping something would stick to be honest with you. And my midwife even told me that. And, um, this is why they call it practice of medicine because they don't know for sure. Yes. Cause (laughs) they, they don't. And, uh, not everybody is guaranteed to react the same way as anybody else. And so I had these uncontrollable hives, right? And I kept being told, well, with it being pups, most likely, you know, you're going to birth your son and then you're going to be better. Like, uh, that's just how pups operates is that they typically disappear within a few days of the birth of your child. Mm-hmm. And so to be honest with you, as miserable as I was, I invested a lot of hope into <laughs> this promise of like, it's okay if I can just get through this within right. a few days, um, it'll be okay. And so with as severe as my hives got, I ended up getting um, induced a week early. So instead of 30 or 40 weeks, I was 39 weeks. And I get induced and I get put on all of these different like Benadryl and Sudafed and all this stuff in the hospital. Mm -hmm. And we go home from birthing our baby. We think everything's okay. And then within like 24 hours of being home, the hives come back and they come back with a vengeance. And it was, it was horrible. Honestly, Heather, it was, it was the worst pain and worst, um, uncontrollable anxiousness that I have ever felt because there was just no explanation. And so we communicate with our midwife. This is what's, it's still going on. What do we need to do? And she gets us in with a dermatologist within like a week, week and a half, which is actually quick for dermatologists if you've ever been to one. (laughs) And so I um, go see the dermatologist and they put me on this regimen of like three different medications that I have to take every day, several times a day for like four to five weeks. And then they'll slowly start taking one out of my system in the hopes that these hives go away and praise the Lord, this regimen does work. But in the meantime, I'm at home with my first baby, right? Um, first baby is, I think a shock to everyone's system every time. You know what I'm saying? Like, (laughs) I feel like you're a little, little, nobody can ever be prepared. Like there's no, no way. not at all. Until at you've all. actually done it. There's no yes, way. There's no way. And, um, you know, that's just how, how it is. And, um, you know, you, you think that you're as prepared as you can be. And then you find out there's no such thing as preparation. And, um, so you go in and it's just a level of lack of sleep and lack of everything and your hormones are going crazy like all at the same time and there was this point this breaking point early on I'd say I was probably about three three and a half weeks where I just the only thing that would help with the hives was just getting in the in the bottom of our shower and just letting like water run over me and I was in the middle of this you know shower at this time (laughs) just weeping and crying because I could not 
I couldn't hold my baby to breastfeed him without having a whelp like right, right underneath where he was laying. And it was just such physical um, reaction. And at, and this is the time where you're supposed to be like holding your baby and all snuggling the, yeah, all your the baby. Skin all the contact, skin contact. Yeah. It's so good for them. And like I'm doing it in spite of my personal well-being but I mean I'm losing it right like this is this is just terrible yeah so that was that was kind of how pregnancy and like first few weeks of motherhood went I would say yeah like you said emotions are just through the roof everywhere (laughs) from having a newborn to begin with yes and then having all this other stuff with all the highs and stuff on top of that I just can't even imagine no no So I know you said that you were holding your son as much as you could, but, you know, physically it was giving you a reaction. Yes. Which was painful. Like, how did that, how do you think that affected your relationship with Silas? Gosh, I think early on, it's kind of hard to explain because I wouldn't say it was like full-blown resentment, like, Mm because he's just a baby and I was able still at that point. I wasn't, I was definitely experiencing feelings and emotions like from birth, But I wasn't in full-fledged depression yet. And so um, at at that early on stage when I still had the hives so bad, I would just say that I was just really brokenhearted, I think. Like, Mm -hmm. I was just so sad and so devastated because I had spent so much of my pregnancy grieving that it added a layer of guilt to those early weeks that um, I was unprepared for. not being able to hold him the way that I wanted to or to enjoy him the way that I wanted to after having spent my pregnancy so flip-flop back and forth between extreme emotions. (laughs) And so it was just kind of a, I I hope that makes sense. It was just, I wasn't necessarily resentful towards him. I was just sad. Like, I was just sad that it didn't, it didn't look better than I, than it did. And I'm sure I was being harder on myself than I needed to be but well I mean yeah, yeah. Everybody, is. <laughs> everybody is but, but um, let's yeah. let's go back and talk about the adoption aspect because I think that that's a different I mean a lot of what we've been talking about is like not being able to have babies physically or mm-hmm. um like losing babies through miscarriage or you know whatever but I think that there's another category of parents out there who are, you know, wanting to be adoptive parents and who are in that waiting period. Sure. And I know y'all have been waiting for years and years and years. And what is it like from that aspect? Okay. Because that was y'all's first desire was to adopt. Right. To give some clarification, Ben and I were in seminary from 2009 to like 2015 between our two different uh, degrees. And during that time was when we experienced our call to adoption, like genuine call. It wasn't just, mm-hmm. um, I've always had the desire to adopt and I've always known that the Lord would lead me to, but, mm-hmm. um, story for another podcast, another day, if you ever desire. So, yeah. um, but during that period of time, God led Ben and I very specifically to adoption. It's going to be a boy and he's going to be from Uganda. Mm-hmm. I mean, clear as day. And in the five years from our initial calling to the month after Silas was born, there were at least three occasions that we tried to walk away from it just out of frustration, out of mm-hmm. disappointment, out of um, why are things not easier than they are? 
that we tried to walk away and God would bring us back every single time. Like it's, it's kind of crazy, honestly, those stories, but through these five years of, um, just trying to be faithful to the Lord and trying to be faithful to his call on our lives. I think we probably experienced the full gamut of emotions because you have those highs of, you know, oh, we just submitted our application. Oh, we just hit a specific financial goal. We were Mm -hmm. really blessed to have several uh, people or organizations who uh, were helpful to us, including Refuge Mm -hmm. and uh, including Holtz Leather up in Huntsville, uh, where Ben Mm -hmm. was working at the time. And so um, we had these beautiful, beautiful instances of God's hand. And then there were incredibly dry seasons as well, where we just sat there and said, Lord, where are you? You know, like, where, where are you in the midst of all of this? And when we reached year five and come to find out that they were closing down our program at the same time that we were just getting ready to be able to open our new home um, to continuing our adoption, it was just devastating, honestly. We have processed a lot in the last couple of years. God has used Silas and Micah to help us process that um, Mm -hmm. and to function as a salve in a lot of ways to our souls. But even now, I would say where where I am, um, again, I can't speak for Ben, but where I am, is we decided early on and felt led to name our son Isaac when we would receive him. So we feel a lot of closeness to a lot of the old promises. And we see mm-hmm. we see Abraham who's promised his son and promised a lineage, but doesn't receive that lineage until much right. later in life. And so... Yeah, that's actually exactly one of the things that I talked about in last week's episode. Yes. I went through it and he was like, you know, 80-something. God promises him yeah. this huge lineage. And he's like, I'm 80. I'm 80. What am I? And, <laughs> and Sarah's then, like, I can't even produce kids anymore. Like, what are you talking about? And then about? God comes back when he's like 99. And he's like, yeah, I, I've still got this promise. And he's like, all right. Yeah. You know, it's, you know. Yeah. And so um, when we when we named our son Isaac, when we felt led, <laughs> it was not with the intention of relating so intimately to Abraham and Sarah. Mistakes but were made. Mistakes were made. Yes, <laughs> but you know, there's uh, there's definitely evidence of that of just having to relinquish control and and we both both of us if you talk to either of us have reached a place of when it happens it will happen and it's gonna have to be god because there's there's no level of force that we can (laughs) inflict (laughs) and there is we don't have truthfully we don't have the strength or the uh, i would say strength is actually an adequate word we don't have the strength to start everything up again and go through this all over again. And mm-hmm. so it's really uh, it's really a matter of having to sit back and trust that God will do what God wants to do. And mm-hmm. I, I regularly rely on uh, two sets of scripture. One is we talk about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which is Silas's mm-hmm. recent favorite Bible story. <laughs> I don't know if you've heard about that. But when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are in the midst of, or they're about to be thrown into the fiery furnace, I should mm-hmm. say. So this is before, you know, God has shown up in a miraculous way in the furnace, they say to King Nebuchadnezzar, but if not, he is still good. And so um, we've really, um, 
that's been a huge, huge pinnacle for me of, of just oh, trusting. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and it's very day to day. I don't want to give the false impression that like, I'm strong in that every single day. Oh yeah. Um, but, um, but if not, he's still good. It's definitely been my life first. And then also reminding myself that, you know, if you look at Hebrews and you look at that, the faith, uh, hall of fame, if you will, mm-hmm. um, you see several instances of, of major biblical figures, uh, historical figures that the Lord used who never saw the completion of a promise here on earth, uh, that mm-hmm. their completion was through meeting God. And so I just try to remind myself that, but if not, he is still good and I'm in good company in the meantime. So yes. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. And, um, I hope that answers yeah. your question. <laughs> no, yes, it did. It did. And yeah. I'm glad, I'm so glad that you brought that up. Cause for some reason that it even crossed my mind when I was, you know, coming up with all the questions for this, yeah. but I think that that hits a perfect spot of something that we haven't talked about yet. Yeah. And it may be an end up being a uh, a whole season unto itself yes, later. It's, a, it's but, an interesting intersection for sure. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's go back to to postpartum though. Yes. You said that initially, you know, things weren't real bad except for you know the physical aspect of everything. Right. Yeah. At, like, at what point did you realize that you needed help? Not until about I think I was four months postpartum, mm-hmm. and a further explanation to that is that things actually got from bad to slightly worse. Oh my <laughs> I gosh. know, but it wasn't with me. So what happened was um, my my hives weren't really resolved until like week six or seven, mm-hmm. and around week four is when Silas ended up developing really severe acid reflux. Right, like Ugh, so. That's rough on its own on its own yes <laughs> yo I'm, I'm telling you it was just a it was just a crap storm it really was there for a period of time and it's one of those things where like when you're recalling this to somebody you don't want to be that person that was like that's like the extreme and the dramatic you know and you're yeah. like but everything was extreme and dramatic <laughs> so um anyways yeah so around week four was when silas he was screaming all the time right like on top of the stress of hives now i've got to like worry about yeah. what i'm eating already and i've got to like really be focusing on you know removing dairy from my diet and and gluten and like all of these different things just trying to figure out a solution for mm-hmm. feeding him and you know there's a question later on about uh what you would have done differently and I think Mm -hmm. this is one area where I would have done something differently in my head I was I was already starting to experience the effects of depression Mm -hmm. and the thing that anybody who's listening to this who hasn't experienced depression themselves that I want you to understand is that depression it forms a reality in your head that you cannot convince yourself otherwise. Right. It is literally impossible to process the world around you outside of the lens or the scope that is in your brain at that time, um, chemically speaking. And so, so at the time I was like, he's got to be breastfed. There's nothing else that will work. There's nothing. I'm I'm a failure if I don't breastfeed this child. Mm -hmm. When in actuality, somebody should have like grabbed me by the face and been like, put the boy on (laughs) formula. Like, (laughs) stop doing this to yourself. But I didn't. And so we went through this whole breastfeeding journey and never really found, honestly, he didn't, his 
acid reflux didn't really improve until we started introducing solid foods to him mm-hmm. around like month five or month six. So it's a long time to be going with it being that yes, bad. <laughs> yes, it, it was a long time, but it took adding something more solid into his stomach in, mm-hmm. in conjunction with my milk. And so anyways, in the midst of all of this, the um, effects of depression are setting in. And I do, I, you know, I do firmly believe that circumstances and um, your surroundings definitely have an impact on whether or not you experience depression. However, uh, there is an element that's uncontrollable. And it's Mm -hmm. just it can happen. I think that's something I learned through that process is that it can literally happen to anybody. It doesn't matter if you are the happiest, most positive person before pregnancy and before delivering your baby. Hormones Mm -hmm. have a really strange effect on your body. They do. (laughs) And especially after giving birth. I mean, it is a roller coaster. It is a roller coaster. Yes. And it's not a ride that you signed up for. You know what I'm saying? This is not, this is not Tower of Terror. Like this is not, (laughs) it is a Tower of Terror in its own way, but it's not one that you signed up for. Not the fun one. Not the fun one. one. (laughs) And so he was about four months old. I want to say he was about four months old when I have this instance. And at this point, I also did not realize that depression could manifest. I thought depression was like, oh, you're sad. You're in mm-hmm. a corner and you're crying all the time. Um, nobody told me that a symptom of depression could be that you're raging pissed and you are just yeah. yelling all the time, right? Like just <laughs> angry, uncontrollably angry all the time. And that's how my depression manifested was I was just mad. I was yelling. I was screaming. Silas would scream, I'd scream at him, Ben would be, you know, he would do something trying to be helpful and it would make me mad because it didn't work and then I'm yelling at him and it was just, it was, it was bad, honestly, and I'm not, obviously not proud of that, but it is, it is reality. Right, yeah. It is what happened and there was an instance where um, my mom, at the time, they weren't, my mom and dad weren't here in Cartersville with us. Mm -hmm. They were still up in Huntsville and... Mom was coming back and forth as often as she could. And she actually validates to this day. She was like, no, Silas really was not an easy baby. Don't worry. Because <laughs> I've sometimes... It's not just It wasn't you. just you. Yes. Sometimes <laughs> I've thought, like, maybe it was just my depression. And mom was like, no, I had four kids. Like, he was, he was pretty rough, you know. <laughs> um, but... Anyways, it was an instance of when of one of the times that she was home or here at our house. And so my mom and Ben are just they are just trying to figure out something that helps me in that moment. Mm-hmm. And it was very reactionary to whatever emotion I was projecting at that point. And Silas, his stomach was probably upset from, you know, having just been fed and it was messing with him. He was just screaming relentlessly. And I had, um, we have these blue melamine plates at Mm -hmm. our house. And if you ever come to my house, I actually kept it as a reminder, but there's a blue melamine plate that has, um, fork marks in it because I was so angry and I had to get my rage out somehow that I literally just took my fork and was just stabbing my plate over and over and over again. in this extreme reaction of depression and anger. And it was... During that time where something in me just was like, this is not who you are as a person, you know, like this is right. This is not normal. Like you should be like experiencing some some level of joy in this season. And there was Mm -hmm. absolute zero like there was there was no there was nothing pleasant about this. 
So about four months, I finally reached out. I told Ben, I said, I've got, I, I don't know who I need to see, but I got to see somebody. And right. um, our church, thankfully, is very pro counseling. And we actually have everybody. It's one of those things where like, he's not a member of our church, but everybody knows who he is because he's worked mm-hmm. in conjunction with our church so often. But I ended up going and seeing Dick Forbes, who works with our church, Mm-hmm. And he straight up told me, he said, Naomi, I can help you. I'm a counselor. I can do this. But I'd actually would prefer you see my partner, Allison, who is, you know, a little bit more specialized and more trained in what you're needing counseling for. And so mm-hmm. it was actually through him that I was partnered with my counselor. And that's that's actually the sign of a good counselor, um, just to anybody who hasn't seen a counselor. If somebody wants to refer you, that's not a bad thing. Like, that's right. that's a counselor working with the people in his network and saying they're a better fit for you. And I know they are. (laughs) Um, And so I ended up being partnered with my counselor, Allison here in Cartersville and met with her for about a month and a half and really processed with her. And, And there were a lot of helpful things like through counseling that we worked through. And there were a lot of things in life previous to pregnancy and previous to Silas that needed counseling as well. Mm -hmm. But she was actually the one who finally said, Naomi, I think it's time that we consider medication as a course of treatment. Right. And so about five or six weeks into counseling with her, I was seeing her twice a week. I met with my midwife and, Mm -hmm. um, my midwife was who got me on Zoloft. I started taking Zoloft and, and she, it was really funny. God's mercy extends in some interesting ways sometimes, um, <laughs> as you, as I'm sure you have experienced, but right. one way in particular, at, at this point, I was just so hopeless, right? Like I was just like, I'm never going to enjoy this. I'm never going to, my kids going to grow up thinking I hate them and I don't, I just can't control what's going on in my head right now. Right. And I was just hopeless and felt like a failure because I'm very, it's funny because I'm very pro medication, but in this instance, because of the reality that this depression had built in my head, I thought I was a failure Mm -hmm. to need medication, which is not true at all. Right. So I went to Allison or I went to my midwife, rather, I went to Kim, talked to her and she said, okay, sounds like it's time. Let's do this. And she treated it so like normal, you know, like Mm -hmm. she did, she didn't, you know, oh, you know, I got, I got to call and talk to your counselor. And um, it's because she and I had built this relationship for the last nine months. And she was like, yeah, you're not acting like yourself. Let's let's do something. And so she told me she was like, I'm going to put you on Zoloft. That's that's the basic starter point. And uh, you'll probably start feeling the effects of it. And I'd give it about two weeks or so. And we'll we'll be able to tell whether you need to adjust or Mm -hmm. do anything different. And this is where the Lord's mercy is great, is that literally within two days of two doses of Zoloft, I felt like a totally different person. Like it was, and that's not guaranteed for anybody. I don't want to give that false impression because everybody's body interacts with medications differently. But, um, mercifully my body was allowed to react that quickly to Zoloft. And so that was kind of the start. I continued counseling past that point, but that was the start I would say of like, 
Just getting your head above the water. Yes, and, actually. Yeah. yeah. That's actually a perfect way to describe it was, and when I, um, it's funny that you say that because that was one thing that stuck out to me that my counselor said right before sending me to my midwife was, Naomi, you are drowning and you don't even realize it right now. You're going to get medicine in your system and it's going to function like a buoy. Like it's literally yeah. going to bring your head above Just water. Pull you up. Yeah. That was my, uh, that was my experience of like getting started on the healing healing track, I would say. And I just want to take a second for any of the, the listeners, if you think this is you and you think that counseling would help or, you know, even medication, there are some chemical imbalances that can happen that mm-hmm. you need help with, that just thinking good thoughts and talking it out is not necessarily going to help. So if you need help, get it. Yes. And if it's medication, it's medication. If it's not, then... You do what's best for you. Yeah. So in the midst of all of that postpartum depression, and even in the following weeks after starting to kind of get your head above the water, how do you think all of that affects your relationship with God? Again, that reality that had been built up in my mind through that period of um, unmedicated depression, I should say. Mm -hmm. I felt very isolated. I felt very alone and I felt very unseen. Um, Mm -hmm. and a lot of that had to do of like, God, can you please give me a break? Like I've had hives, I've had, you know, depression, I'm having depression now. I'm having, you know, these uncontrollable outbursts. My child is Mm -hmm. sick all the time. I'm not enjoying any, any bit of the newborn season. I would say that through the unmedicated portion of my depression, it was severely impacted in a negative way. When I got medicated and I started that journey of healing, I had to, it's one of those things where like, I could not, I could not help a lot of the things that I did in those first four months, right? Like it Mm -hmm. was, it was reactionary and it was uncontrollable. It was impacted by chemical imbalances, hormone imbalances. Right. But that did not negate my need to make right before the Lord. I think it just gave me a really interesting... I got saved. I I received Christ at a really young age, like before Mm -hmm. I really even had the chance to do anything that you would consider like major, which I know is not the proper (laughs) way to look at it. But you and I have related about that before, about um, what it's been like to get saved as a child. And so I think it gave me a really unique experience in my adulthood of being being a sinner without realizing it and then mm-hmm. recognizing your need for God. Um, so oh, yeah, I haven't even thought about that. Yeah, yeah. So it wasn't, it wasn't, it's obviously I don't believe that I got like, you know, saved again yeah. or something like but still, that. still, it, it gave you the perspective of kind of what that feels like. Yes, like what, what that would have felt like potentially. It, it gave me the opportunity to be able to put words to what I was probably experiencing as a child, recognizing my mm-hmm. need for a savior. I knew what it was like to sin and sin on purpose. <laughs> right. <laughs> but in terms of remembering what it was like to just unknow knowingly be in rebellion against God and then coming to understand his grace and his mercy. It was a totally different, totally different experience from anything else I had. I like that. I mean, it's bad that you have to go something like that to have that, you know, experience and to have that revelation. But at the same time, it's just cool that even through that, God still showed you that. Yes. Yeah, I agree. What do you think the hardest part of that whole journey was? I think the hardest part through the journey and since the journey has been dealing with the impact that that journey had on everyone else. Mm -hmm. 
it, it is hard because, well, for one, I dealt with a lot of fear in my relationship with Silas specifically because mm-hmm. I thought I will never, this, this is going to ruin our relationship for the rest of my life. He is going to be terrified of me for the rest of forever. Like, because I, <laughs> you know, you, you just think that you surely have ruined him and I'm sure I'll put that kid in counseling one day is probably the joke that every parent <laughs> makes. But like, it was just, you know, I just looked at my baby and I just grieved the loss of those first few months and mm-hmm. just really dealt with a lot of fear over us not having a uh, redeemable relationship. And mm-hmm. once Now, to be fair to Silas, Silas has been a daddy's boy since he came out of the womb. (laughs) But um, that's how all first children are, aren't they? Aren't they, though? I'm telling you, those second babies are the mama's, the mama's babies. But um, anyways, we had we I would say by the time Silas was about 11, 11 months, like I had reached a good place in my medication um, regimen uh, Silas was in a good place with his growth and he mm-hmm. was, he was putting on weight now and, uh, just was a healthy kid himself. And that was when the Lord really started to redeem mine and his relationship. Mm-hmm. We had the sweetest relationship from, I'd say probably 14 months to 23, 24 months, Um, where I was able, and and the reason why it's that specific (laughs) is because Micah was born. Because the twos are terrible. Well, the twos are terrible, yes. But Micah was born around 25 months, and so my attention got a little divided at that point, and he became full-fledged baby, or daddy's boy again. Um, (laughs) But God just really, he, it was amazing, honestly, just how, how precious and sweet those months were. Um, and then, um, the hardest part even since then was then went through his own period of depression last year, mm-hmm. right. As we were about to have Micah, he came to me and admitted knowing that so much of my depression had impacted his fight or flight response. Mm-hmm. Um, and he had been living in this fight or flight response mode because when you live with somebody with depression, your the person's react like you have to learn to operate right, out yeah. of what's like actually always happening. on guard. Yeah. Yes. You have to learn to operate out of both realities of like their reality and what's actually happening in the world. Mm-hmm. And so um Ben had not been able to like on a subconscious level, I guess, um, had not really figured out how, how to lay that down. And so that I think that's been the hardest part is just making amends with the people that and God, you know, that um, yeah. had it had an impacted directly. Looking back and, you know, the redemption that's come out of this too, what, what do you think has been the best part of all of this? The best parts. Mm-hmm. Well, I, you know, I already shared about how impactful it's been on my in my walk with the Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that I gained I gained a lot of empathy for people that I had never had before. Having been somebody who was, and and I still am, but I was extremely passionate about adoption. I was very supportive Mm -hmm. of those who are in foster care prior to having children myself. And so knowing a lot of things and a lot of the reasons why kids end up adoptable had made me a very judgmental person. And Mm so, you know, I mentioned how one of the things that I had to learn was um, it can literally be anybody 
Uh, You know, it was me who was tempted to hurt my child. It was me who was tempted to hurt my spouse. You know, Mm -hmm. it was me who literally had this moment of being reminded of a state. Like I was in this mode of reacting to some uh, something. I, I, I don't remember specifically what happened, but right in that moment, I had the thought of if they're cruising, they're bruising, which means if they're mobile, it's not a surprise to see a bruise on a child. But right. if they're an infant and they have bruises, that's concerning. And so, right. like, I was the one who had to remind themselves, like, you can't bruise them because then people will know how bad yeah. it is. And I had such, such judgment towards parents who hurt their kids or who reacted mm-hmm. to their kids and not obviously obviously I prioritize the child always in those situations but right. it just gave me it gave me an element of mercy that I didn't know was possible in my own spirit and in my own mm-hmm. mind and brain and it made me very passionate not just for children in adoptable situations but also for parents right. what's going on or what's happened that has made that a reasonable right. reaction. Does that make sense? Right. Yeah, no. Yeah. I'll, yeah, that's good. What do you think that you've learned about God through everything, through the postpartum depression, through even the grief of waiting on adoption, all of it? What do you think that you've learned about God? Okay. So I actually pulled up some verses for this. <laughs> Look at you go. I know, right? Um, <laughs> so I would say, I know everybody's heard Psalms 23 and whatnot, But um, Psalms 23, the first few verses took a really special turn for me through the past three and a half years. (laughs) I'm like, how old is is Silas? Silas is three. And honestly, eight years, if you include the adoption process. Um, Right. But reading from Psalms 23, verses one through four, it says, The Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You know, I admitted that the hardest, like the thing that my, with my relationship in the first few months when that depression was so severe, um, was I felt unseen and I felt forgotten by Mm -hmm. God. Um, and truthfully, there were several moments of that. I wouldn't say full on like seasons, but there were several moments of that throughout the past eight years and just questioning God, why are you doing things the way that you're doing? And I don't, I don't believe that struggle is unknown to man. I think all of us to some degree have experienced that isolation and that loneliness Mm -hmm. between us and the father. It was these, this set of, these set of verses, and I am sure that I heard it in a sermon or something somewhere. I I do not believe I'm magically coming up with this, (laughs) but, and and for all I know, it could have been Jason because we were, you know, in church with y'all at the time that all of this was going down with our adoption. When I read those verses, in light of the eight years of, of experience with God, I realized something, you know, we, we as Christians, we have this desire to live on these mountaintop moments, right? Like we Mm -hmm. want everything to, and it's not just us as Christians, honestly, it's people. Yeah. People Um, in general. Right. We want everything to be perfect. You know, we want our finances to be in line. We want our, um, our relationships with our spouses and with the people around us to be perfect and without confrontation or conflict. We want, you know, the perfect house, the perfect schools, perfect experiences. And we want that for our children too. And we just have this idea in our head that if it's anything less than this mountaintop, then 
it, it must be God's fault or it's, it's, you know, God is allowing this to happen to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, which is, you know, whole theological load into itself. But I will say my experience was as I read these verses in light of the last eight years and really processed the eight years through that lens was that, yes, we desire the mountaintops, but where do you find the rivers? Where do you find the green pastures? They're not on top of the mountaintops. Mountaintops are actually barren. That's where you oh, find that's, good. Yeah. that's where you find snow and ice and uh, situations where there's no room for growth because it's so cold. Like yes, it's mm-hmm. it's wonderful and invigorating, but it's through the valleys of shadow mm-hmm. and it's through the the darkest valleys that you find the richest riverbeds yes. that you find yes. that you find the richest experiences of uh, growth and where roots can grow deep. And so it's that while I might have felt alone, my emotions told me that I was alone. My chemical imbalance told me that I was alone, but if not, he is still good. And so um, that's what I have learned continuously through this process is that Yes, I may be in those valleys and I may feel isolated, but he's not alone if I if I just look around me. So, yes, that's good. And I love that. What would you say to someone who is walking through postpartum depression right now? I'm sorry. <laughs> like <laughs> first and foremost, like I I say that with a laugh, but honestly, it's it's just it's a it's it's funny. I I know that's the whole premise of your podcast is to talk about things that aren't talked about. And I feel like in recent years, postpartum depression has been more more acknowledged, but I don't mm-hmm. I don't think people still understand how much it genuinely takes over your life and how much mm-hmm. it genuinely takes over your relationships and just who you are as a person. And so I think to that person, I would just initially say that I'm sorry and that it definitely can be better. And let me help you, you know, like, let, let's, let's get you plugged into the right places to see a better place, like to get to a better place, I should say. And just to know that they're not alone and that God is with them and they are seen and heard right now. That's good. And I think that's just been the consensus, sums up the, the, the complete theme of this entire season, which I'm, I'm so glad that we got to sit down and do this. And if you feel comfortable, I would like you to pray for those women right now. Sure. I would happily pray over people in my circumstance and also what you've been discussing throughout the season. Lord, Heavenly Father, we just we just come before you, God, just acknowledging first and foremost that you're the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and that you are a merciful and gracious and all-seeing and all-knowing Heavenly Father. God, I just pray for the listeners of this podcast and and the women throughout the world, Lord, that are experiencing infertility and are experiencing miscarriage or child loss or adoption, closure, God, or postpartum depression. I just I just lift these women up to you, God, just asking that you be near them. I'm asking you to remember Psalms 34, verse 18, that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and that he he rescues those whose spirits are crushed. God, I just pray that um, for these women, just asking that you rescue their spirits, Lord, and that you restore them. I pray, God, that you remind them that 
all of these situations that we find ourselves in, God, are opportunities for uh, you to be glorified and for them to be exalted and to be loved and to be cherished further by you. God, I pray for encouragement over their hearts and their spirits. And God, I just pray that as women listen to these podcasts, as they listen to the different stories that have been shared on here, God, I pray that they will feel a sense of belonging and solidarity and that you will eradicate any sense of loneliness that they may be experiencing right now. Lord, I just thank you so much for the gift that it is to be a follower of you. And I pray, God, that my testimony and the testimony of others will lead people to your feet and and to relationships with you. God, we love you. We praise you. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I just want to take a second to thank all of y'all for listening to Let's Go There. It has felt like such an honor to bring these ladies' stories to you and to be a part of bringing hope and comfort and maybe even some healing to your hearts as you see God's goodness and grace through the hardest of times. You never know who's going through things, especially all the things we've been talking about over these past few weeks about infertility, miscarriage, IUI, IVF, and postpartum depression. I want this to help as many people as possible, so please share it with your friends. Another way to help people find this podcast is by leaving a rating and review. I would love to hear from you guys and about how this has impacted you. If you haven't already, you can subscribe to this podcast so you will automatically receive notifications when new episodes are released. Next week's episode will wrap up the first season, so you will not want to miss it. Have a great rest of your week.